This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. I know she's great because she's my wife and my partner. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. We've been doing our weekly check-in to see if we're both still great. <laughs> and and are we? I mean, you just said I was great. I think you're great. I think you are great as a human being. I think you are great as a human being. Yeah. I, I cannot say that I'm doing great. Yeah, I can't say that either or that the world is doing great. No, kind of opposite. Yeah. There are definitely moments of of hope uh, and inspiration and all that. But that's uh, that's where we want to start. I feel like probably most podcasts that people are listening to are starting with some acknowledgement of the world. Um, I want to keep doing the podcast uh, because in general we're committed to it. Um, we have a Patreon for it that people very kindly give money to. Uh, mm-hmm. So I do want to keep it coming out for people who do want to hear it. Um, and I feel like on one hand, during extremely stressful times, one wants to be able to continue to provide a little bit of uh, entertainment escape regularity, especially mm-hmm. if people are like um, uh, listen to a podcast weekly and that's a part of their routine. So there's that side of it for me. But then there's that other side of it for me where I feel like uh, uh, I'm not going to advertise this podcast. I might do like one tweet that says, hey, it exists if you want to find it. But like normally I have like a weekly schedule of (laughs) here that all the times um, because uh, certainly for social media, it doesn't feel right with everything going on in the world right now to be like, listen to my podcast. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about right now about kind of balancing those two things of being aware of this might offer a little bit of escape or comfort to people versus maybe it's not a time for escape and comfort because I am feeling really, uh, I'm rolling forward on the podcast, but being very mindful about those two conflicting instincts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel honestly very conflicted about it. I feel like it's it's good to do and I completely agree with your decisions, our decisions to keep going forward with this for right now. Um, because I do feel like it is, it is important to have some elements of, I don't even want to say regular life, but I don't have a better word for it right now. So I'll say that of, of life to keep going. But at the same time, um, things are not okay right now in the world. And, and I don't think it's, it's not going to be a fix, quick fix. It shouldn't be a quick fix. And to me, that's part of this is just me, my personal opinion, uh, and I might learn things and change my opinion. But um, but I feel like in order to be in the marathon that that I am in, that you are in, that hopefully a majority of us are in to try to fix things, make things better, we have to figure out how to incorporate it into life as opposed to make it the only thing so that we don't all burn out. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I I definitely see and respect that, and that's why I'm doing the podcast on one on one hand. But I think there's just this, it's been such a whiplash, and I, I promise listeners that we will get to an actual topic. <laughs> um, there's been a whiplash, I feel like, because of the pandemic, you know, remember that thing, the global <laughs> pandemic. Oh, right, last um, week. Where I feel like, relatively early on in that a wisdom arose that I agree with which was 
we're going to get back to a new normal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to reevaluate and maybe some things that weren't great, like forcing people to work in the office when they didn't need to. And maybe we don't need to all be driving uh, individual cars as much and all sorts of different ideas that might be like, hey, you know, we don't have to just keep rolling forward with society the way it is. So I feel like for me, for the people that I interact with and in my soul, there was like this eagerness during the pandemic to go, let's get back to kind of a new normal. Mm-hmm. But I think I had that on my also just the nature of the pandemic that, yes, it obviously could have been handled much better and many, many uh, horrors pre- uh, uh, prevented. Mm-hmm. But I think there was also a like, well, hell, everybody, we're in this together. So let's make the best of it. Let's make our weird Zoom backgrounds and like having a sense of screw it let's try to make the best of this while we're all locked in our home hooray i'm not wearing pants felt like a good and healthy response Mm. to the pandemic and i feel like what is going on with this full not not full much closer to full realization of the depth of systemic violence and injustice Mm -hmm. against black people from police Mm-hmm. that that is so different to me than the pandemic. The pandemic feels to me like we came together as a society knowing that we needed each other, we needed levity. And I don't know that we need levity right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we do as humans always mm-hmm. to function. Mm-hmm. But I think for me what I struggle with is humor. I saw I saw a fight with a comedian about because they were making just kind of jokes, just kind of jokes. Not, they weren't satire. They were just mm-hmm. sort of jokes. And a bunch of people were like, maybe, maybe not now. And this person was getting mad and pushing back and saying, we always need comedy. And as a fan and a student and a creator of comedy, that bugs me because saying, saying we need jokes is like saying we need sentences. <laughs> it totally depends on the content, the context, what you are trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess what I'm getting to with that ramble is uh, I do feel the need always as humans. Yes, we always need some way to relieve stress. But that's kind of the point of protest to say, don't look away. Yes. And I don't want to be contributing to hey, some bad things happened. We were really upset for a week. Let's get back to normal because I don't want to participate in sweeping these issues under the rug without them being addressed in some large systemic ways. Yes, 100%. I in no way mean get back to normal. I know. And, that, and that was, I was not pushing back against what you said. Yeah, no. And, and I I mean, like, like I started with, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. Um and I'm very conflicted because part of me feels like, no, this needs to be our focus. And I feel very lucky in the world right now. I, I still have a job. I still have to do my my yeah. job every day. Many people do. And I feel like, like we talked a lot about the new normal for post-COVID, and we continue to talk about it. I feel like, and maybe this is just for myself, like whether it's uh, specifically about this podcast or you know but like let's find the new normal where where we do keep the outrage we do keep fighting but also recognize that within that 
whether it's listening to a podcast, whether it's sleeping at night, whether it's remembering to eat at least one meal a day, you know, drink your two glasses of water, take two minutes to just breathe. Like we as human beings need to sustain ourselves. And I, you know, will say this saying I'm putting this out there pretending I'm, I don't know, a therapist or something. And it's not like I take my own <laughs> advice. So this is not necessarily what I'm doing. Um, and, and like I said, I might be wrong. You might've already changed my mind. Uh, but that's, but I, but I, I'm very torn. I don't think that it should be back to normal, and I think it's really hard. And especially with promoting things, it just feels like no, it's not the no. time at all. Yeah, um, yeah. People keep putting on Twitter, read the room, and it's like read the tweets. <laughs> the exactly. tweets are the room. Yeah. Because uh, if you scroll through and you're the only one going, hey, check out my podcast. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Read the Twitter room. Uh, the social media room. Uh, so for those of you listening, because you obviously made the choice to, um, I, I, I obviously don't have, I just wanted to be honest that I feel conflicted. Yeah. I want to do the best thing. And right. it's just honestly what it is. And I, I, and I think in many other difficult, dark times, I have felt like I could find what seemed to me the right note to say, Here's when a joke is needed. Here's when a gif of a squirrel with a lightsaber is needed because we all just need to take a breath. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, I can't hear that note right now. Yeah. And I just wanted to be honest about that. Obviously, we made the choice to do the podcast. Yeah. We're doing it. But I want, I just wanted to be honest with listeners who might feel, who might be wondering, you know, uh, that I feel really conflicted and strange. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening and happy to be listening, we're very happy to be here <laughs> yes, for you. Yes, if you need this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening weeks or months later, that's great too. Um, and I, I think it is, it, it's hard. I don't I don't know if we're at Scroll with Lightsaber yet. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say I don't know. I don't okay. think we are. But we might at, be at Squirrel. <laughs> fair enough fair <laughs> enough uh we are at squirrel uh for the moment so we wanted to talk about something that was uh, kind of related uh but something that did was also a discussion of joy and obsession mm-hmm. uh so we are going to talk about the bookstore uh uncle hugo's and uncle edgar's mm-hmm. uh trust me we will get to the joy but first, more <laughs> caveats uh, for anybody who isn't familiar. Uncle Hugo's and Uncle Edgar's is and was a bookstore uh, that has been in uh, in Minneapolis uh, since 1974. It was Uncle Hugo's and then 1980. Uh, Uncle Edgar's was added um, that I went to for a long time. It, Uncle Hugo's was uh, science fiction focused and then Uncle Edgar's. They were connected, but there were two separate rooms, two separate vibes. Uh, Uncle Edgar's was mystery. So it was science fiction in the front, mystery in the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, if you do not know, it was burned to the ground uh, during uh, la- the Friday night of the initial week, Friday into Saturday, mm-hmm. late, uh, late uh, early Saturday morning. Yeah. How's that for clear timelines? Um, so I, I want to talk through some caveats before we dive into this. Mm-hmm. Um the the destruction of a bookstore is not the most important thing going on right now, and I know that, but I still wanted to talk about something that felt relevant to what's going on mm-hmm. uh, and something that was truly important to me uh, that would uh, uh, honor the title Obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, this has come up when I have tweeted and, and posted on Facebook about it as well, that 
my reflection on a bookstore is not in any way to make a statement that property is more important than lives or that, uh, you know, buildings are the big casualty of what's happening in our society. So that is not at all what I'm saying. Uh, The other caveat with this uh, for me is that we want to raise awareness uh, for the GoFundMe. So Mm -hmm. the owner uh, had a little bit of back and forth trying to figure out the insurance. Uh, Somebody, uh, I think in Kansas, got really eager and started a GoFundMe because they wanted to help. (laughs) Uh, Once everything was figured out, they transferred that GoFundMe to the actual owner of the store, and now it is up and running, and he's been giving some great interviews. There was one a couple days in Business Insider, so if you Google Uncle Hugo's Business Insider, you can get a little bit more insight on his uh, his plans for hopefully reopening, but some of the ups and downs of that. Um, and that uh, GoFundMe, you could probably find fastest by just Googling GoFundMe plus Uncle Hugo's, but here's the actual link. It's GoFundMe.com slash F slash let us help save Uncle Hugo's or Uncle Hugo uh, 39S. Again, probably Googling it is <laughs> easier than real quick <laughs> writing that down. But look, I'm trying. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, and we'll keep this uh, relatively brief or try to, um, the, the discussions about peaceful protesting uh, versus the choice to, to uh, say, break curfew for the point of civil disobedience to be seen mm-hmm. versus uh, looting out of opportunity versus looting out of desperation because Target is closed and tear gas is burning your eyes and you're trying to get milk. All that stuff is uh, a, comp- a complicated conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has emerged with Uncle Hugo's, which uh, many, many of my friends on, in, on the ground in Minneapolis have posted about uh there is it's in this business insider uh, article with the owner of uncle hugo's uh for people who are not from minneapolis uh this isn't uncle hugo's isn't near the precinct where the actual protests were happening uh i mean it is kind of but not it's not right next to it right it's not near the process the precinct that burned it's Right, semi near the pro- the precinct to that some of the protests moved to after the first, after the the first one burned. Yes, yes, it is it is vaguely in between semi. the two spots, but just for, I think there can be some confusion because mm-hmm. everybody I think in, in the world saw that initial um, protest near the uh, precinct mm-hmm. on Lake and Hiawatha with the target in the auto zone and the the you know mysterious weirdo in the black outfit smashing the auto zone windows and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point being. From the description of the owner who got uh, a, the you know alert at 3.30 a.m. that his store was on fire, uh, the windows had been smashed open, accelerant had been squirted in, and th- this specific building was burning. In the Business Insider article, he says that he has been informed of video of a white person in a mask doing the burning. Um, and this is something that I feel really strongly about because I... No Minneapolis uh, that same night places in North Minneapolis. Uh, everything else happened in South Minneapolis. So North Minneapolis, miles away, uh, some random businesses burned, most of which were black owned, mm-hmm. obviously. So for me, um, these all I, I just I have opinions, but I don't want to wade into them it, about all of those differentiations, except for this one. I absolutely believe and people are, of course have a right to disagree with me i absolutely believe that this bookstore 
that I loved, that many people loved, was targeted by people who do not care about justice, who are trying to make things worse for those who care about justice. And the fact that this bookstore fell to that is just enraging to me. And the fact that anybody could think that it was, well, it was near a protest and, you know, you got to value lives. Like, that's a whole separate conversation because, in my opinion, from the research I've done, that is not what happened to this building. So that is an important context to me. I think there is a misunderstanding when I posted about it on social media that I was saying this bookstore is more important than everything else, which Mm -hmm. is not what I'm saying. Right, right, absolutely. But there are absolutely a few um, buildings, this one, the ones in North Minneapolis that you met, a few other uh, black minority-owned restaurants near this one, but not like adjoining it a few blocks away that were specifically targeted. Accelerant was poured in the windows and the buildings near them did not burn. So it it, it seems um, very clearly a targeted attack and not part of the protests. Yes. Yes. I am repeating in agreement. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And this is a fast moving situation. Maybe I have something wrong. That is my understanding right now um, and where my emotions and perspective comes from yeah uh i i also have many great memories of that target on on iwatha but i'm not doing an episode of obsessed about it (laughs) we already i did an episode about targets with my friend jeremy stomberg you can go listen to that anyway let's uh, get into the happy part of the podcast here at about minute 17 anyway i'm trying it's time for joy it's time for joy uh I, can you can you take over yeah. and, and we'll discuss the bookstore over. a little bit? Yeah, exactly. That seems like That's a good idea. That's what we're going to do. We're going to find some joy. We're going to discuss the bookstore. We're going to discuss happy memories about the bookstore in um, honoring it and paying tribute to fun places yes. and why they are important to us. Yes. 17 minutes of caveats later. You know, let's begin. That's our world right now. <laughs> <laughs> At least 17 minutes of caveats. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, So I would like to take you back to the beginning, (laughs) to your beginning with these bookstores. Can you describe the place and what it meant to you um, and kind of your first experiences with it? Yeah, uh, I think for me, like I said at the the top, I think just the fact that it was two stores, like, you know, there's the banner uh, out there on uh, Chicago um, of... Uncle Hugo's with this uh, weird little creature with a ray gun and then Uncle Edgar's with like a, a raven with a, a magnifying glass and a deerstalker type Sherlock Holmes cap. And it was like, ooh, it's both. It's both science fiction and fantasy. What? Um, and this is definitely a little bit of a back in the day. Uh, a, the magic of the place partially for me was this was, of course pre-internet for me when I was first mm-hmm. going there. I think I probably first went there at about 12. And when I say, you know, when I first go went there, you know, I meant beg my parents to take me. Yeah. So, like, growing up and uh, liking Star Wars and Star Trek, and, and they live mostly in action figures and a few books here and there, or the, the fantasy of my mind, because there wasn't, they weren't on television. You didn't get more of them. Um, and then discovering Doctor Who, um because it, it was a couple of years after I discovered Doctor Who. Okay. Around, uh, just uh, maybe like a year later. So the point being, 
you know, when we'd just be driving around Minneapolis because we were going to the doctor or, you know, going to a mall or something, and you would see a random store that had a, like, that was a science fiction store, you'd be like, that's a place full of hidden treasures that can't be found anywhere else, right? <laughs> right. Because I was a child and I wasn't going to be, like, you know, taking uh, trips to other, like, you know, famous bookstores across the like, I wasn't going to be like, hey, guys, can we fly out to Powell's? Like, you know, <laughs> it, if I passed it, it, that's where the magic potentially lived. That's where discoveries lived. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think discovering Uncle Hugo's and Uncle Edgar's that had so much and it it was definitely a place where I would discover things that maybe I didn't know but I had gotten old enough at that point and interested in, in a bunch of different things that I knew these things existed I knew they were in the world but I couldn't find them because they weren't at B. Dalton's or Walden Books mm-hmm. um, so some of the like really early stuff was being able to find, you know, Doctor Who novelizations and James Bond books. And I'll, I'll get into that um, yeah. a little bit. But uh, I think uh, for, for what it meant to me, it was the Internet before the Internet existed, but in an extremely charming real world way. Physically, uh, you walked in and it's just it had very specific sections. Uh, it was in was very well organized and didn't the Doctor Who novelizations uh, uh, rack, not not rack, a uh, shelf mm-hmm. is in the same place uh, when I was 12 until uh, the incident, uh, until the horror that happened. It didn't move. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, along with that, that consistency, it was, there were always tons and tons of new books um, everywhere yeah. uh, piled up. And especially if you went along kind of the back wall side of Uncle Hugo's or Uncle Edgar's that had more of the used stuff. Mm-hmm. there'd always just be piles so you could do that i'm looking for a specific thing by this author and it's not up there on the shelves but maybe it's in one of these piles so in a way i guess it was like the internet of like in theory it was organized and yet it's <laughs> a mess you could dig through to find yeah. something you had to search <laughs> and yet you have to search and dig yeah. yeah did you go there in your early exploration years with with a goal in mind like i'm gonna I've heard this thing exists from the kids on the playground. I'm going to go look for it. Or I'm going to, this probably has something about Doctor Who. Or, I mean, even at that time, that was like a, how much of that was in the States? Or was it like, I'm just going to go hit the, like, guess what is the tab that used to be on the um, search browsers? Like, I'm feeling lucky. Feeling lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to go exploring. I know I did some of that, but all of my memories, and some of them are are faded, honestly. Um, All of my memories are successful missions. I still still spent a long time wandering and discovering, and I think I opened a lot of things and put together a lot of connections of like, oh, I didn't realize that was the author who wrote what that or I didn't realize that book series was so big or ooh, I've always heard about that maybe I should check it out that that kind of stuff yeah but it was definitely my my biggest memories were basically like I I'm looking for X and I can't find it anywhere else I I if I bug my parents hopefully I can find this and then you know and then sometimes I'll I had you know, only had so much money and I'd buy one thing and then I would know the next time I go back, I can, you know, but, but there were, there was that hope of like, I bought this one in the series. I really, really, and I know that last time I was there, they had the other one, 
but they might not. Right. So I got to try to convince to get back. But when I come back in three months, will it still be there? Yeah. 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 So I think it it, it is that um, a lot of it is certainly unique to that place, but a lot of it is, I think, the just the cherished um, independently owned bookstore vibe that many people would know of. It was super exciting because it's like a portal to adventure, mm-hmm. but it's also that feel of a bookstore of like, it's kind of a this sort of calm living museum that you can, you know, <laughs> uh, paw through. Yeah. Uh, and in the Uncle Hugo side, uh, you know, it had a lot, I don't know, it, for me it had like, to my memory, it had more signage in like even more piles and like more kind of little collectibles, you know, dotted along shelves here and there. Uh, so it had this sort of like hectic feeling of exploration. Yeah. And then Uncle Edgar's in the back was a, a little bit more tidy and it had, and there was, and it just, it had, I don't know, they, they both had, they were so similar, but had such different vibes, mm-hmm. uh, in that, you know, Uncle Hugo's partially because of, you know, it opened in 1974 and it's covering what it was covering. It's like. You couldn't you couldn't turn without seeing eight painted dragons somewhere, right? It was it was <laughs> sci-fi right. of that era, yeah, uh, seventy-four on, you know. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, th- there was just something about the vibe of Uncle Edgar's that felt a little bit more honestly mysterious. And, and this might be me romanticizing it, but you feel like you could go around the corner and there'd be a private dick doing some research, you know. <laughs> With just like a cloud of smoke only around him. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Can I clarify a thing that I'm pretty sure I have right, but I want to make sure I have right and just yeah. clarify. So the um, Uncle Hugo's and Uncle Edgar's was a combination, both selling new books and used books, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a fun that was my recollection from later years when I went there, but I wanted to make sure that was kind yeah. of the deal as far as you remember. Yeah, and well. they both had the setup of like the new books were very clearly displayed and then along the, you know, opposite sides, but along the, well, no, never mind. Uh, along the sort of the back walls were the piles and piles and piles of, yeah. of used books and yeah. separated out between paperback and hardcover and that so you could search for exactly <laughs> what you were looking for. Uh, yeah, so th- that's kind of the big picture of, of what it meant to me, what it felt like. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let's dive deep. <laughs> you're <sorry>. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving us a picture. <laughs> but I want to dive deep into some of these specific memories. Uh, do you have any when you when you think about what the essence of this bookstore, what it means to you, um, still focusing a little bit more on your youth? Are there specific stories or visits or finds that stand out? Yeah. So, like I said, I, I'm the, some of the memories are foggy. But you were asking about uh was it were kids on the playground telling me about dragon riders of pern and the answer is <laughs> new new this was the this was the time a little bit later in life i would find more friends in high school who liked comic books and superheroes and very quietly liked uh star wars uh and star trek and things like that um but this was at the time where I was kind of being loud and proud about liking Doctor Who, and people thought I was just a weirdo. And if they gave the show a chance, it would just be like, what the hell? What is this? They're just totally unable to comprehend why I wanted to watch, like, at that time, a middle-aged British man 
tried to be peaceful. Like, what? what is wrong <laughs> with you? Um, but that was around the time that uh, the bookstores in Minneapolis at that time, B. Dalton's and Walden Books, had a few Doctor Who books, but they were phasing out. Oh. So there are many different bookstores across the Twin Cities that I eventually found it, found more Doctor Who novelizations. But Uncle Hugo's was like a, uh, it, it was heaven for mm-hmm. that so like they had a ton of the novelizations so you know books that i had or, or stories that i'd heard about i could be like ah i finally found it because it's not just this slim collection of the six newest of the target novelization releases at that time it was a bunch of the old ones mm-hmm. um i think i got some more obscure things there like there had been this uh a couple books that were experimenting with ha- writing new stories that were adventures of the companions and the actor of Harry Sullivan, Ian Martyr had written this sort of James Bond adventure of him oh, uh, wow. uh, of Harry Sullivan having this sort of James Bond <laughs> adventure. And Ian Martyr was a very, uh, you know, great, uh, witty writer. And, um, I'm pretty sure I got that there. I think that was the first time I ever saw Dr. Who magazine or knew that Dr. Who magazine existed. Cause I had this big mm. pile of Dr. Who magazines and I'm pretty wow. sure the one copy of Doctor Who magazine, because, you know, we only had so much money. We couldn't just be like, yeah, add it to the pile. Um, had, had like a big interview with Sarah Sutton, with uh, the actor who played Nyssa mm-hmm. in the Fifth Doctor's era. Uh, so I remember that. Um, so lots of great science fiction things. Uh, there's a, a weird, uh, I don't think it's that rare now, but I thought it was super, super rare at the time. And I went hunting for it because I can't remember how I found out it existed. There's a, in Kurt Vonnegut's novels, there's an author character named Kilgore Trout, and someone eventually wrote a novel by Kilgore Trout that Vonnegut gave permission to publish. Oh, wow. Uh, And I wanted to find it, and I found it at... Uncle Hugo's and it was that was one of those like absolute holy grail of like what and and it, it had that great sense of discovery right yeah. because like things like that happen now where like you know when the castle tv show is popular like yeah, yeah sure everywhere there's books by castle and it's a fun kind of meta thing yeah but there's no discovery there's no like holy shit that actually happened and feeling like I dove into the world of Kurt Vonnegut and then found out that another meta world existed within that world and then i could only find it in this physical you know bookstore yeah you know it has that level of discovery where it feels like you know there's lots of images when when uh when you think about or talk about books of like people diving in and disappearing into the world of the book right and that feels like ah, i got i got to dive two levels deep into that book right you know uh so that uh Uncle Edgar's ended up in some ways being more formative for me because we talked about in our James Bond episode that we did relatively recently mm-hmm. uh, that I had uh, checked Goldfinger out from the library. Right. And wanted to know what the deal with James Bond was. Yes, and I enjoyed it. Neighbor's mom, right? With the neighbor's mom who uh-huh. thought I was a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> a reoccurring theme in this episode. Um, so I started collecting the James Bond books. Mm-hmm. And at the time there was in... Uh, Minneapolis, I think uh, all over Minnesota, but mostly generally Twin Cities area, a comic book, newspaper, uh, collectible trading card place called Shinders. Mm -hmm. And we would go to the Shinders relatively often, and I bought the the James Bond books that they had. There's one copy they had of Spy Who Loved Me that has a big crease in down the middle at (gasps) this specific Shinders Uh that was there for at least a decade. Uh, <laughs> they were not going to restock. So there were a couple specific 
Bond book. So I, I read Goldfinger and I liked it. And then yeah. being a pedantic little kid, I wanted to go through and read them in order. Uh, and I, I couldn't find the first or the third okay. other places. Okay. So I am 99% sure I got Casino Royale there. But oh, I am 100% sure I got Moonraker there, which is the third novel mm-hmm. and is for people who are like yeah, the weird space one the book is so different the <laughs> the, the book is in, in some ways uh, strangely timely and kind of famous for the 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 uh, main uh, woman character Galabrand uh, <laughs> at the end of the book tells Bond like I've got a boyfriend <laughs> spoiler for a very old book it just kind of ends with Bond going like oh <laughs> it's a very different novel and uh that particular line of books all had were all kind of different bright uh colors uh-huh. and then had a silhouette of bond in different action poses and uh so like i knew moonraker existed from the inside of the other books that's how right. i knew the order right right um but i had never physically seen it so wow. i got there and i i think we were like out to dinner and it was one of those like Please, 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 can we? I really, I finished reading *Live and Let Die*, and the next one is *Moonraker*, and I and I can't. I have *Diamonds Are Forever*, but I can't. I need to read *Moonraker*. Uh huh. Um, and I think it, I could be misremembering this again, but I think it was a really like, y- y- you got ten minutes, kid. Run in there, and if they have it, you know. Right. Uh, and they did, and it's this cool all black. All the others are colorful, but this one's like all black. And then the Bond silhouette is in white because it has to be because the book's black. Ooh. Yeah. So I really, really remember Moonraker. And then yeah. really, it is for me one of the best Bond novels and totally obscured uh, culturally by the super bonkers. Uh, let's make James Bond into Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which uh, has its its absolute joys to it. Old, old movie Moonraker. But <laughs> different. So that the Moonraker is a really solid memory. And then the other things uh, that... I, as I got a little bit older into my teens, um, I got into like older detective fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read some Dashiell Hammett, uh, but Raymond Chandler in particular. And I have a, this, it's not like vintage, it's not special, just to me, this old uh, copy of The Big Sleep. It's mm. got uh, red and blue binding. Yeah. And it's got that kind of the older uh, style of paper where each page is a different a slightly different uh, length, you know, right. purposefully. Yeah. Uh, and it's got that great, perfect old book smell. smell mm-hmm. And I've I've read that copy of Big Sleep probably, you know, seven times yeah. in my life. And yeah. that was definitely a Uncle Edgar's thing. And is that where you discovered Raymond Chandler? I think I, I don't honestly remember. And like, uh, you know, my brother and I would really kind of uh, pursue interests together. And this was mm-hmm. when I was getting older in my teens. And my brother and I and his girlfriend at the time were all really getting into that world. Uh, around the same time, uh, there had been these, started to be these very fancy, not very fancy, very fancy to my mind at the time, newly printed rediscovering of not just uh, Chandler and Hammett and James M. Cain and, and the well-known authors, but authors who had been a little bit more true pulp writers of like, eh, we're, we're pumping these things out on whiskey and typewriter and desperation fumes and Mm -hmm. we're doing it to stay alive yeah and that added art of but i'm not i'm not getting reviewed in the new york times 
I'm pumping this out to live, but it's going to be about something. So they're strangely, deeply soulful. Um, Jim Thompson is one of the authors, uh, and, um, and David Goodis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really enjoyed looking around uh, Uncle Edgar's to see if they ever had an old copy of, of one of those actual you know, books from back in the day. Yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, but it was definitely, Uncle Edgar's was definitely my uh, introduction to getting more into, as I became a teen, espionage and, and mystery and old school crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very fun. Well, good. Good. <laughs> so you've been a child. You've been a teenager. <laughs> Life keeps going. Um Let's talk about going there as adults. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have some some fun uh, adult memories, but uh, I know you do too. Uh, <laughs> so they had, they always had a good stock of, be, because Bond was popular, The a lot of the paperbacks that aren't like first printing, every once in a while they would have something cool like that. And, and mm-hmm. I, I did get a, a first printing paperback of live and let die 99% sure I got there as well. Wow. Um, but they would have, they had like just the, all the mass market things that you could, if it was, you know, 1964, all of these would just be like, yeah, they're just, they're everywhere. Cause they're popular now. Right. Um, and I have a friend, uh, who, uh, was a big fan of the bond movies. We would play uh, all the James Bond video games together, but he'd never actually read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time he and, uh, his roommate and a bunch of other friends had this holiday tradition of a friend's Christmas where it was utterly a joke, but it, it people won Christmas based on how many presents they got. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was kind of a, a competition to do weird, fun things. Right. And my friend had never read the Bond books, but we were great big James Bond fans together. So I went because they were affordable. Uh-huh. And bought a copy of every Ian Fleming novel and then wrapped it individually. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. So that he could Did win, he win Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, Aww. yeah. Because it was like, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah. So so that's uh, one of my adult memories. Um, stopping. Uh, there, there was one time in particular that I had been. There, there was a theater. There is a theater uh, in South Minneapolis that was doing a showing of a Doctor Who, a new Doctor Who episode. Like it was a let's all get there and watch it together. Okay. But I wanted to make a little show of it and had asked me to help put on the show and I was going to do some Doctor Who stand up. Um, and I can't remember if I made cards or he gave me cards, but I was just like, where can I put these? And I was like, ooh, I should really pop in and because there's a big space in the front of Uncle Hugo's for yeah, just put out stuff. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that particular visit because, you know, I, I busy adult didn't have a lot of time to read, didn't have a lot of, you know, time to go there, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was really fun to just like stop in and I hadn't been there in a little while. Yeah. And just feeling that like from when I was 12 to desperately, desperately buying these Doctor Who novelizations that I could speak to no other human <laughs> except for my <laughs> brother about um, on my earliest visits to I'm going out here to put cards out to let other human beings know that I'm going to do some Doctor Who related stand up at a theater where a bunch of people are going to watch Doctor Who on purpose because it is very popular. Right. And was... they have asked you to come be there and make <laughs> those jokes. Like you're not just going to stand up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so that that was a really nice kind of full circle yeah that's beautiful for me yeah 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 that's that's a really nice full circle Thank you. Um, and I want to ask you your memories about our first wedding anniversary. <laughs> we like to get real here. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too real to admit that we're married? No, no, I didn't mean that was the real part. <laughs> um, so the first wedding anniversary, uh, for people who are not familiar, um, traditionally is paper. I don't remember if that's the contemporary one or not. And we've had a fun tradition throughout the years where we try to find some way to tie into the traditional, the contemporary, often both. Um, You know, it might be something like the year that was leather. We went and sat on booths in a restaurant that may have been leather. More likely we're like, you know, vinyl. Vinyl or pleather anniversary. (laughs) But, you know, it was as close as we got. But we made a very specific point um for our first anniversary that we wanted to celebrate we wanted to do something paper related and i had never been to uncle hugo's and uncle edgar's and so it was a very fun um like you're opening the door like come on in uh hopefully not in a scary way for you because uh i don't think it was any secret that i was a huge fan of books and bookstores so but it was really fun to go and share this experience of going there um, as a way to celebrate something that was important to us uh, as a couple and also something that was important to you and your history in Minneapolis all these years. Um, and it was just delightful. I, I I both remember the sensation of being there and I don't remember really many specific details at all, but I remember that feeling of walking in and being like, what? (laughs) This is amazing. And it was that combination of both, um, like this place is amazing and this place feels like home. Yeah. Right. Cause it was just cozy in there. It was cozy. It smelled like books. I love a good, you know, bookstore, especially bookstores that have like that that beautiful combination of new books and used books. So they have that smell. Yes. Yes. That's a big part of it. Right. Because there, there are used bookstores that I love that are like, this feels like a secret bunker and you, you can <laughs> yeah. smell the old. And there is definitely an, uh, there is an air of that. There but, is. But it was mixed with that new book smell. Yeah, but then there's things that are shiny. And like, and I was like, what? There's shiny things here too? What? This is like everything in one. <laughs> and you've got sci-fi and you've got mystery. And um, so that feeling of walking into a place that instantly felt so both comfortable and like a world that I should have known. Like, it isn't like I... I had just moved to Minneapolis, but I hadn't never been there. And I think just hadn't been on a book buying kick. Um, when I first moved to Minneapolis for a very short time, I worked in the cafe at Barnes and Noble. So for a very short time, I bought books there and then, you know, just life took over. So yeah, it was a beautiful, wonderful place of discovery. Yeah, it's one of my uh, favorite memories because again, it, it's not uh, full circle is a little bit uh not the right description, but it was just, I think that's a part of the power of the place to me. It's its not just a cool used bookstore that, you know, I discovered I would, I would still be heartbroken, but it, it has walked through these stages of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, uh, 
certainly when we had traveled around, we lived in the UK together for about three months while you were getting your, your finishing getting your degree before we were married. And mm-hmm. we went to a bunch of bookstores together and knew that that was a passion for both of us. And that the fun of a first anniversary and knowing that we wanted to celebrate paper, uh, you know, I remember going, oh, wow, that might be really special because I knew that you would enjoy this place and I knew that you liked a lot of mystery series. So I knew that you mm-hmm. would find things there. So it didn't it didn't feel to me like just like, look at this place from my childhood I like. It, <laughs> it was something that remained alive and pertinent to our uh, pertinent to our relationship uh, yeah. in, in terms of you like books and mystery too. So it wasn't like, hey, can you try liking this thing I like for our first anniversary? It was right. It was me sharing something, but something that I knew that you would enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then honestly, not to spend too much time on it, but uh, the, the era that I grew up in uh, that was the if a woman I like discovers I like Doctor Who, uh, I'm done. That whether... Uh, that was not entirely true, because that, that was, I think, uh, part of the crappiness of the gender dynamic that that assumption had been made and blocked people of uh, all genders finding connection mm-hmm. uh, because there was that cultural, this, you know, the laser swords are for the boys and, you know, the, uh, the strawberry shortcake is for the girls and that utter bullshit. Pshaw. But that was my belief growing up mm-hmm. was that. My belief growing up when I was <laughs> buying uh, Doctor Who novelizations and, you know, reading James Bond books where they sometimes mentioned breasts was like, uh, as such a, a young person discovering how to be an adult, mm-hmm. um, the thought that I would walk into that building on the one year anniversary uh, of my marriage to my incredible wife who was not like... I tolerate that you like this stuff, <laughs> but fully, fully, you know, engaged in, oh, yeah. in celebrating it with me. Yes. Um, Both feet in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm taking a long way to say this because we make jokes about like, what nerd had a beautiful wife. How'd that happen? And I'm, I'm kind of done with those jokes. Uh, so I just want to lay out that I did not expect as a very young person in that bookstore that I could ever have what we have. Mm. and uh, the fact that I got to celebrate that there in a space that was joyful to me, but also, uh, you know, a part of my personality that society was telling me, like, well, if you like all this stuff, forget women. It's just utter bullshit, obviously, but mm-hmm. so that that made it extra special. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I both agreed, like, let's find a book. Mm-hmm. Just Let's go around and find one book, and I bought the, a book that was the beginning of a series, and uh, to my shame... I haven't started it yet. I'll get there. <laughs> That's okay. Because to my shame, I don't remember what book I bought. I'm pretty sure you bought the second book in a series. I I think that sounds right. There is. I just, I think mine had something to do with trains. One of us had something to do with trains. Because we were both on the railroad murders. The railway detective. The railway detective. So this was a series that I discovered at a bookstore we had gone together in London. And... I think it was like the second or third book that I, you know, kind of half-heartedly looked for. But it was a British series, and some are easy to find in the U.S., and some are really impossible to find um, if they're not as popular over here. And I think I'd looked a little bit since we had moved back to the U.S., 
and I had not found it. And then I was like, what? Maybe they'll have it here. And then they did. And I remember looking for a long time and just like enjoying the discovery and seeing all the different things that they had. But I, I think you are right. I think that I did get perhaps the third because I think I own the first three. The third <laughs> book of the Railway Detective series by, uh, I'm not going to remember his first name. His last name is Marston, the author. Okay. Uh, is James? <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I, I was going to say Philip, but uh, <laughs> that's because of Philip Marlowe. So uh, yes. anyway, somebody yeah. Marston. Somebody Marston. Now you can find it because they're alphabetical by last name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess for me, like the the last thing, a couple things to, to talk about in terms of adult memories um, is just kind of the the power of the place not changing. Yeah. I mean, it obviously did. They had new books and new displays and, you know, they go in there and they would have, you know, newer things like, you know, like the Cthulhu branded version of Monopoly. It's not like they were just (laughs) frozen in time, but in some ways they were. Yeah. In a world that moves very, very fast, you, there was the comfort of the familiar. Like those Doctor Who books didn't move. I mean, honestly, I was just going to come back to that because that to me is amazing because you think about the world of science fiction in particular, from the 1980s until, you know, the right now times, it is a world that has changed drastically. Um, And I'm sure in some ways has not, and I do not claim expertise. But the fact of something like that, that the Doctor Who books were in the same place for all that time, it it's just it's a testament to something that that I honestly don't have a lot of experience with. I I moved around enough often enough growing up and as an adult that there weren't places I went to early on that I then lived in the same place to go to <laughs> when I was an older kid and then didn't live in the same places to go to as an adult. So um so to have for you to have that feeling of a place that you had gone to and discovered as like this world of discovery and this world of reaffirming the things that were um of interest to you and important to you and showing that they were important to other people and having that there as as a younger kid but then in your teens and as an adult and also to have it not change but i mean that in a good way not mm-hmm. in a but like they didn't feel the need to come in and be like well it's been 30 years so we're just gonna do a remodel um and not that those are bad but sometimes sometimes you don't need change if there's not a reason. Yeah. And it's just a weird, it's like those old suitcases, you know, like you just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I mean by that. It's like <laughs> it's those just... old suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean, an old suitcase. You know, like the old straw suitcases and oh, attics yeah. that somehow like contain nostalgia that doesn't change over the years except it's not just nostalgia because it's also current times i don't actually know where i'm going i know i was trying to make a good connection and i lost the thread we'll put it this way like you and i both like history it is you are an expert and you deal with it in in career in in many ways Mm -hmm. um i've always liked history when uh our first date i got you a card that had an oldie time telephone on it because i thought she likes oldie time stuff, uh, but like I, I, I got, had a phase uh, of being super into typewriters, and I had my own typewriter, and I was stubborn, and I typed uh, uh, papers in college. But like that's an example of like that's cool, and you can value that, and you can do that. But I got to a point of like, all right, 
I, I have to use a computer because it's taking so long and I got <laughs> other things to do and I can't, oh, and the, the whiteout and the, the typewriter is a beautiful old thing, but yeah. it, the world has evolved beyond it. Mm-hmm. In a bookstore, you know, you're not going to evolve beyond a bookstore. At least I don't want to. Right. I'll put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> that's the strong opinion that's going to piss people off on this podcast. <laughs> I don't think we need to evolve away from bookstores. And they, it's not. It wasn't like they're just like we don't we don't like this new things. We like they got new merch all the time. They they had yeah. a, a um, newsletter. In fact, I think for a while, I think for a couple of years, we had some sort of like discount package deal where we got. The newsletter and like maybe a t-shirt and then had like 10% off for a year. Oh, wow. Back in the day, um, my brother and I. Uh, but anyway, the point was they were always promoting new things. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't engage with that side of it that much, but I knew that that was there. That was a big part of their relevance. Like you're seeing a lot of people not from Minneapolis who are like, they're, they're a big deal. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because they weren't just stuck in the past you know right right because and you'd have like authors stop by and sign books there oh yeah and a lot of things like that so it was yeah a, that's people's it was memories an active online. living it was a very active and living shop yeah so to so to have something that has one foot in the past isn't changing but is also moving forward and like just just as an example right so i got into doctor who right before basically a couple of years before uh, the original series was canceled in 89. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it took a while for those last seasons to filter out to us. And I remember when the um, the new adventures, so the, it, all of my collecting had been of novelizations of the classic serials. Okay. And then, uh, I don't know the dates, I'm not a super expert, uh, late 80s, early 90s, they started doing new adventures um, kind of continuing the stories of Seventh Doctor and Ace. And uh, I remember seeing those and going, yeah, I'm not sure uh, if I'm, if I want to, if I have the time or the money to collect those. I'm not sure about just following the continuing adventures that, it, you know, that you can't see on television. I was young and I was mm-hmm. dumb and I regret that choice. I would have loved to follow <laughs> along. Uh, you know, later in life, I became friends with Paul Cornell, who was one of the writers who really, crafted that and lots of great ideas came out of that era of Doctor Who storytelling. So it's weird to have a place like Uncle Hugo's where I saw those books on the shelf when the new adventures were new. And I wish if I could travel back in time, I wish I would have jumped on board. But then when I visit it again, there are those very old copies of <laughs> quote unquote, the new adventures and to like be able to see on one bookshelf that hasn't moved that entire arc of history, wow. you know? And now the new Doctor Who show is 15 years old. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, sorry. That's always, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> that's that's not just, even related to Yeah, this, that's but, just painful to people. Yeah. Let's talk about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about our final visit. Yeah. Um, I will, I'll tee it up a little bit, and then I would like love to hear your thoughts. Sure. So every year we go back to Minneapolis, uh, sometimes more than once a year, but every year we've gone back for the uh, convention convergence. Um, and two years ago, 2018, when we were going back, uh, we often, uh, we see our parents, but we often, uh, hang out a little bit with your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, I'm, you know, so many things are closing, especially independent bookstores, uh, falling to the internet. 
and a ton of our like favorite restaurants and things and like that have changed in Minneapolis. Yeah. So I kind of got it in my head of like, I need to visit the places that I care about. Uh, so I asked you and I asked your parents and we all went there together and I'm so glad that we did because it wasn't just going there. For me, it was like a, I want to support it so it doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And in case I don't get back here, I'm, this is like a super purposeful trip to me. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what was your experience of that trip? Yeah. So, I mean, so I was totally on board with that. We were worried about it. Um, just closing and not being back to see it. Um, and it was, it was great to go there. I mean, my parents love bookshops. There is a reason that I developed my love of bookshops <laughs> <laughs> and it is because my parents brought me to them often. So it, it was not a, a worry. They, uh, are not necessarily huge readers of science fiction, but they are supportive of it and supportive of my interest in it and my brother's interest in it. And are absolutely big mystery fans. And and they love an interesting space. They love seeing what's there. They love kind of, you know, like going into the nooks and crannies and finding things and the feeling of discovery. And they also both always have like kind of their own mentalists going, like I think a lot of us do, of like, oh, I should remember like the, these three authors I should always look for if I'm in a used bookstore or something. Yeah. So um, it, was, it was so fun. I admit I felt a little bit like... Like, Kid in the Candy Store is kind of the only way I can describe it because (laughs) we, you know, we went there and weren't sure how long we were going to be there, but we wanted to spend a little bit of time there. And we both have weak spots when it comes to buying books. And there were so many different things to see on the (laughs) shelves. And there's the, like, the spirit of discovery and new books, but also... I one of the things that I bought when we were there is one of my one of my favorite mystery series is the Mrs. Polifax mystery series by Dorothy Gilman and my mom had read it when I was younger and you know got all of the rest of the family into it but it was kind of one of those things like she would pick it up at used bookstores or garage sales and you know we all kind of like checked out the book from the library or you know passed around the same like family used copy yeah and it's been a thing like in the last few years where I have thought like, I, there's a few of these Mrs. Polifax books, not all of them because I think there's like 20, uh, but there's a few that I really want to have so I can reread them anytime I want. Yeah. And I thought that there none of them were in print anymore. Um, and I bought actually a quote new or fairly new uh, version of the first book. Oh, wow. And, you know, I say new, it might've been printed in like, 2009 or something or but i i like it isn't bent it isn't so i think it was like still had not been purchased by somebody and it was such a wonderful feeling of discovery both to find that i mean not that i wouldn't have loved a used copy of it but it was it was that feeling of like i thought this was gone yeah unless i could find a used copy of it but like no here's a brand new version of it and i'm going to take this because it's a book that i read often yeah and try to force others to read <laughs> and so that was fantastic and just like just that feeling of discovery and being like oh okay we're going on a plane so we need to be aware of space <laughs> But we really want to support them and these are amazing finds and kind of that push pull of like it was truly to me that feeling of a kid in a candy store of 
I want all the sugar. I shouldn't have all the sugar. Uh, it, bookstores are far more dangerous for me than candy stores. <laughs> yes, yes. that it, it was great, if I may share please, uh, from please. my perspective. Yeah. Uh, because I get uh, like this sometimes when I go, I know that I'm going to a place that I like, that I really want to have this sort of, um, sometimes I think I can get a little bit too pedantic about it, but like I really wanted to embrace everything that the bookstore had ever meant to me. And and it worked out really well. So like one of the greatest things is um, I another thing that I did in my teens is that Ian Fleming, you know, obviously wrote the Bond books. But then in the early 80s, this author, John Gardner, had done this continuation. And for years, it would be every summer he would he would pump out a new James Bond book. And they got to the point of absurdity because it was supposed to be timeline wise the same character. Uh, okay. like, and I think I mentioned this when we're doing the bond, like the very first one, uh, license renewed is really funny because the bond has, you know, he's in the villain's lair and, and the villain has all the fanciest things like a high end VCR player <laughs> <laughs> in one of the later versions of these John Bart Gardner books, uh, bond goes to, I believe it's Disney world and, and James Bond actually comments on his feelings about, uh, writing, uh, star tours. <laughs> right so really but but i would seek those books out both the the i i would get the new ones there uh sometimes uh and and then i would uh, i had to search there a bunch for the old ones mm-hmm. so anyway point is uh is the light that that guy stopped writing him and then there been random the in fleming estate every once in a while has an author do a one-off bond book mm-hmm. and i found one that i didn't know existed at all that had this cool blue cover Wow. Uh, flash and forward, I finally read it uh, because it was uh, set in 1969. It was set uh, when Bond was the same age that I had just turned last summer. Uh, and it was great. And I just, dis- I didn't know it existed. Yeah. And I just discovered it. Oh. So that was great. I bought a uh, book that was a walking tour of, of Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler locations in Los Angeles, our current home. So that was great. And then on the Uncle Hugo side, I bought a Doctor Who novelization that I've been wanting to reread, but never, I think I checked it out from the library when I was a kid, but I, but it's kind of, it's famous because Terrence uh, Dix, famous Doctor Who writer, uh, worked on it and got kind of peeved that he didn't think the story made sense. And like the last page is just sort of like a quick wrap up of, and here, here's how to make it all make sense. Uh, <laughs> so I grabbed that and then I got the, uh, this uh, Rusty Miller's uh, 1982 book, the Jedi Master's Quiz Book, which was this quiz book that came out before even Return of the Jedi. And did, it's, uh, I think I had it when I was a kid, but I, I got two copies, one for me and one for uh, Ken Napsack that I do the podcast with. So I got like a little of, everything mm-hmm. that had been represented by my journey and when we went in there I, I remember telling your parents like I'm just you know I'm just gonna shoot off on my own but I saw that they were engaged you know oh I got another obscure James Bond thing that I didn't know existed anyway doesn't matter <laughs> um but when I was like okay okay I gotta reel myself in I went to check in on you and your mom, and you were like treasure hunters. You were like you had seen a little bit of gold in the dirt. You were just like body, nose deep in the used book mystery sections. You had lists out, and like the two of you were like working together, and it was so great because it was, I think this is the place where I'm going to be like, I know your parents were up for it. And and they I, I I could tell that they understood that it meant a lot to me yeah. and that meant a lot to me. Um, but then to just see you and your mom 
so engaged after the point where I was like, I got to wrap it up. I'm going too long. And, <laughs> we're like, like, and you were doing like internet research to figure out which edition was what and all this. And like you were so all in. Yeah. I it, mean, you talked earlier about those books along the walls. We were knee deep in those books along the walls. Yeah. 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 There's so much. Yeah. And then uh, when I, I checked out on Uncle Edgar's side and then when I checked out on the Uncle Hugo side, I think I just said, like, you know, I'm so glad that you're still here. I want to be able to be sure to support you. And they're like, we're doing fine. <laughs> and it was, it was like, it was just great to just feel like I was so worried that there wouldn't be interest in a place like this. Or yeah. that Amazon would crush a place like this. Yeah. And it was not only a joyful experience, but just be have that, like, oh, we're doing fine. Yeah, was just a powerful uh, tribute to places like that have value Mm -hmm. and that people are supporting them and people who own them care about them. And it's, you know, and that's what ultimately comes back to just the horrible tragedy of the fire of like, absolutely, it's a building. They're books. Obviously, none of it is more important than even one human life. Right. Obviously. But you know, everything that we create is humans isn't just the physical thing. It's a, it's a collection of ideas, right? And, uh, the collection of ideas that this place meant to me, Mm -hmm. uh, and having my last visit be a sort of a validation of this place is a place of joy and discovery with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. And it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. when, you know, at that, uh, you know, ev- I think every restaurant we used to like is gone. Uh, Most of them. Leaning Tower <laughs> Pizza is hanging on there. Uh, yeah. But a ton of places in Minneapolis are gone. Um, anyway, there's been a lot of fast change in Minneapolis yeah. since we left. And to feel like of all the places a mixed new and used science fiction fantasy bookstore was like, we're fine. (laughs) Right. Was powerful to me. And I just really deeply hope that, that it's what the owner wants uh, to rebuild in some way and that it can happen. And that the idea is strong enough to rebuild the physical reality. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's beautifully put. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um I look forward to going to the the new version with you. Me too. Me too. And talking about it and celebrating it helps, you know, with the the loss. Mm-hmm. Good. So uh got a couple of final questions here. Uh yeah. we're we're gonna do uh, we're not gonna do the whole how obsessed are you because it feels a little a little off, but I wanted to ask you some more general bookstore questions. Yeah. Um, what What do you think we can do to celebrate places like this? Um, I guess, obviously, there are bookstores uh, uh, scattered <laughs> throughout our world, and when they're open again from the damn pandemic, we can shop at them. But in terms of, like, the uh, the spirit of them, the idea of them, what's a, what are ways that you think that we can sort of honor or celebrate what it feels like to walk into a really beautiful bookstore. You know, ways to celebrate them other than supporting them by buying things. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think um, I was wrestling with that sort of the, the, the idea of them. Yeah. 
I mean, I would say, I mean, I'm just going to say a lot of bookstores you can buy from online or bookshop.org. You can support a lot of independent bookstores. So just going to throw that out there first because it's our evening of caveats. Um, (laughs) To me, I think a lot of it is uh, supporting the idea of bookstores. A lot of bookstores do a lot of things that are not just selling books. Yeah. Um, Whether it is having authors in for readings, whether it is... Um, being a place for the community, I feel like supporting that idea of this is a place that is important, not just to me as a consumer of books who maybe has money right now to buy books as opposed to check them out from the library, but but to support it as an important cornerstone of a community, that mm. it is so much more than just a shop. That yeah. it is a place that you go for community. It is a place where you go to pick up cards to find out who's doing, you know, comedy about Doctor Who. <laughs> or it is a place where, you know, maybe other people that you like, if whether it's a, a more general bookstore or a specific focused bookstore, like that's often going to be a place that uh, authors will come and target for signing. So you might be able to see people and hear different ideas. I just, I feel like there's... There's so much life and vibrancy around bookstores. Mm. And I, to me, at least, that's maybe not fully answering your question, but I feel like that is a big part of celebrating some of these smaller bookstores and how important they are within community. That spirit of community. No, that's great. I'm so glad I asked this question because I think um, I think there's like a whole side to Uncle Hugo's and Edgar's that I I, I saw. I mean, I they, they pretty much always had their signing table <laughs> set up. Uh, and I've seen online people like, that's where I met Neil Gaiman. That's where I met John Scalzi. Tons of other authors. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of authors that I know or follow online, like they're mourning it too because that's yeah, it's a stop. Yeah. Um, so I think really celebrating that element of it that's community is great. It, and I really like hearing it because I think my mind is focusing on the idea that these are portals to other worlds. Mm. And I think that's part of what I what is powerful to me about any bookstore, but this bookstore of is far flung uh, as from from Gallifrey to 1930s Los Angeles, you know, <laughs> that right. this this was a portal, especially back in the day, like. I could not order Moonraker on the internet. I could not get that specific copy of Big Sleep. Yeah. I probably couldn't. I don't I doubt I I don't maybe I couldn't have gotten a big a copy of Big Sleep like at um a nor- normal bookstore. You know, certainly not the some of those Doctor Who novelizations. Mm-hmm. So, I think for me when I was thinking about the question of celebrating them is making time for that feeling that I had when I was a kid of opening a book and shutting everything else out and disappearing into that world mm-hmm. and kind of celebrating a book place like this is a, a, a portal yeah, to other worlds. And, you know, as I get older, want now that I am older and I am a creator, when I walk into a bookstore, I am excited for the things that I like, but it makes me excited to create portals yeah. as well. Mm. Um, so I think is the... Uh, I think for myself, when I was thinking about celebrating them, I think I was thinking about trying to make more time to disappear into books. And I love that you have, you thought of the other side of it, which is (laughs) not just disappearing yourself into another world, but that those physical places are 
a place for community mm-hmm. and for group celebration. Mm-hmm. I know? think, yeah, I think both are, and it, maybe that's part of what it is. I mean, I, I think honoring them by disappearing into books more often is a great way to honor a bookstore. And maybe that's part of the magic. It is, is it is a place of community and also a place where everybody can dive into what their rabbit hole of discovery is that day. Yeah. And it might be different from the next day. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. If we had a bookstore, what might it be like? Oh, that would be fun. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you mean like physically or? Yeah, or or idea-wise. I mean, it would have the right smell. <laughs> <laughs> that, that... Is that, would that be the name of the bookstore? <laughs> the right smell? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. We would just talk about it, not on podcasts where people could judge whether it was the right smell. We would talk about it in the back room. Okay. The smell is correct today. You know, like the, the, the used bookstore smell. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love bookstores that have that combination of new and used books that those some places that are a little bit on the kind of shinier side and some places that are a little bit more. You've got the the books stacked up or the boxes of books stacked up. Um, so And that, a place that gives itself to that sense of discovery. Yeah. So absolutely, that would be important to me. And, um, you know, we have spent a lot of our lives as performers, so I don't see how we would possibly have a bookstore that didn't include some small stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. You know what? You know what I want is I, I want a bookstore that's not called The Right Smell, but it has The Right Smell, uh-huh. but has a little stage. Now, this might go against some of my instincts as a performer, but it entertains me. I think that it would have a little stage, and then I think along the back of the stage, there'd be a huge pile of used books, <laughs> and people would be allowed to look through <laughs> while somebody else is performing. <laughs> we would have a conversation yeah. about this. That's one of those ideas that I think is funny to say on a podcast, <laughs> and I wouldn't actually do. It might be kind of fun as a like a... Especially in Los Angeles, there are a lot of, well, when we used to have shows, there were a lot of stand-up shows that added like a wrinkle. That would be a, yeah. just a, a fun one-off of like uh, the the stand-up and browse where you had a stand-up on stage, <laughs> but people are also allowed to browse at the same time. Yeah, It's I a special that. one-off Yeah, one-off if it's show. just like one one side of the stage, yeah. I'm on board with that. And I would like to call the bookstore Portals because okay. uh, I, I like that idea. And also, everybody would just think that we had uh, misheard the name of Powell's, the famous bookstore in Portland. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts before we move on to our plugging section? That's great. All right. We are going to move on then. Uh, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can uh, You can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw and on Instagram at Scrimstreet. Excellent. And here are some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center for info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff. And I do believe shows will upcome again. You can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. 
You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Thank you so much for everyone who has supported the podcast over the years. I really, really appreciate it. It has made a significant difference in my life. So thank you very, very much for that. And if you want to help Uncle Hugo's, again, probably faster than trying to keep up with my reading the long URL, go to GoFundMe or just Google GoFundMe and Uncle Hugo's. Uh, and I also want to say that we we did um, uh, uh, donate to several other organizations and businesses mm-hmm. that are rebuilding. And I found uh, I saw other people posting their, their great portal to lots of different resources uh, in different people and organizations that you can do- donate to on the BlackLivesMatter.com mm-hmm. website. So check that out. Uh, final questions then. Are you ready for your final questions? Sure. Always. If you could live inside any book, what book would it be? Oh, my gosh. And you can jump in and out. You don't have to be there forever. I don't want to trap you in a book. <laughs> um. Wow. You know, I think a book that would be fun would be like one of those books that covers like a thousand years because then I could not only hop in and out of the book, but maybe I could hop between different sections of the book. Like I'm thinking of like um, there's a, a biography of London called London uh, by Edward, Edward Rutherford, I believe, which covers uh, it before it was Londinium up until like, I don't remember where it stops, but like you could jump in and out. I don't know. That seems kind of fun. Yeah. You even want to be a historian when you live in books. That's amazing. <laughs> If you were a book, what would the illustration on your front cover be? It would be a big wave that's half cresting, starting to crest. I don't know my wave terminology. And inside like that, uh, the convex cave. Uh, anyway, <laughs> inside the wave, you would start to see like there would be images of a world that's like inside the wave, but you couldn't quite see what was there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You would you would want to be inside the wave on your the front cover of your book. There'd be like a whole world that's hidden inside the wave, but oh. you can't see what the whole world is. But like you're inside the world, you, you see the wave, you see part of the world. You can tell that there's a whole world inside the wave. Okay, that's wow. My <laughs> you, well, check out Wave World by Sarah Scrimshaw. <laughs> available soon on a stage while somebody is performing right <laughs> exactly and uh final question on the podcast is what is happiness <laughs> which is uh, it's a hard one to ask right now yes but what is. do you think uh do you have an answer do you want uh do you want a more specific version of what is happiness i'm i'm gonna go with um justice <laughs> equality uh peace at the right time yeah and um you know everybody being able to find their equivalent of what uncle eggers and uncle hugo's was for you oh that i think that is a great answer uh thank you everyone for listening for continuing to listen uh thank you for just letting us be honest about about where we're at and this is really joyful for me to celebrate a place and and try to to remember those memories that we get to have regardless of what happens and and have some hope for the future while recognizing that we are in a present moment that needs to work really hard on a better future and finding uh the reality of your what is happiness answer yeah well said thank you that is our podcast 
listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So one other fun adult memory. Mm-hmm. There is an Ian Fleming book called Thrilling Cities that he wrote around the same time that he was working on Bond. And it was a book that I had heard about a lot. And I had, as an adult, I was like, oh, well, damn, I bet Uncle Edgar's might have it. So this book is, it was just Ian Fleming going around the world and having now totally outdated pedantic opinions about what restaurant you should go to when you're in (laughs) Cairo or, you know, I I don't even remember. But one of the reasons that I was aware of it is it has this extremely short story called 007 in New York. And all all the short story is, I haven't read in a while, but to my memory, it's just 007 is uh, on New York in an assignment, hoping to hook up with some uh, old flame. And I believe she stands him up and he just eats at a restaurant alone. I need to revise that. <laughs> but nothing, it's just, it's, it, it's the eating. entire book is Ian Fleming just going like, here's the best taxi in Paris, you know? Yeah. And and opinions about like what makes a city and that. And then it's the, here's a James Bond adventure. And it's just, it's just James Bond dining in New York and kind of whining about it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I I was like, yeah, I went to Uncle Edgar's and it's like, hot damn, it's there. What do you know? And I put it on the uh, the counter and the woman working there is like, you you know, the James Bond content in this book is very small, right? <laughs> and I was like, I do, but thank you. Thank you for warning me. 